Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. I then knew that this is what the world really was, that I am everyone, and everyone is just a reflection of myself, and, and I loved everyone. There is no amount of money you could pay me to make me feel the way I do. The yoga isn't something you do, it's something you are. The practice really is the most amazing that comes to it is they learn to love themselves. They learn to love who they are. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. That They are the architects of their own destinies. Andy Gonzalez has been the co-founder and marketing director for the Holistic Life Foundation in Baltimore, Maryland since 2001. For 16 years, Andy has taught yoga to diverse populations throughout the world, including Baltimore City public school students, drug treatment centers, mental crisis facilities, homeless shelters, wellness centers, colleges, private schools, and other various venues throughout the nation and throughout the world. He has partnered with Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Health and the Penn State's Prevention Research Center on a Stress and Relaxation Study, and is a published author in the Journal of Children's Services. His work with the Holistic Life Foundation has been featured on Making a Difference, the NBC Nightly News, CNN, and CBS, as well as O, the Oprah Magazine, the Washington Post, Upworthy, Mindful Magazine, Yoga Journal, Shambhala Sun, and many other publications. Andy is a certified health coach through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and maintains a BS in marketing from University of Maryland College Park and an MBA from the University of Maryland University College. The best word I can use to describe our interview today is love. Andy's authentic love for people comes through so strongly. His mind is full of creative insights, and he has this rare ability to communicate his abstract and profound understandings because he's such a natural storyteller. The stories you'll hear throughout this interview are absolutely incredible. From heartache to struggle to euphoria, Andy really captures you with all the people and circumstances that have shaped his purpose. He is all around talented, 
full of childlike zest for life, and also simultaneously a wise Sufi-esque sage. What a unique person of purpose. I'm so happy and thankful that you have the chance to meet him, and you should know we're meeting him together. I met him on our interview. He's another beautiful person of purpose I've gotten to connect with through the grapevine of the podcast. And his love for people is so infectious, I know you'll walk away a love zombie, as Andy calls it. Thank you for being the lifeblood of the podcast. Andy has inspired me to say, I love you, regardless of whether you listen to people of purpose. So, I love you. And if you're listening to the podcast, I love you too. Here's today's person of purpose, Andy Gonzalez. Hello, Andy. It's nice to meet you. Hey, a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we got connected um, through some other people that do the same kind of work as you. You're actually one of their mentors, I think, and uh, I think you've trained them even through the Holistic Life Foundation. And their interview really, really inspired me because I'm about to start working in a school that's similar to the schools you, you kind of work in. And I would love to start an after-school mindfulness program just as they have. Um, and so it really means a lot that you're taking the time right now to, to talk about this because I think it's really, really important. And um, selfishly, I want to get some tips um, of the trade so that I can put it in place for myself when I get to school. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know, and it's a pleasure to be on. Really, uh, I remember when myself and Ali and Atma, the other two founders of the organization, uh, began everything, um, always in my mind, like understanding that we had to do this together, you know, beyond the fact that it was my, just the three of us, but that like everyone as like humanity and mankind have to work together to bring these techniques and practices to to the world, uh, whether it's the youth or to the adults. So any way that I can be a, a resource and a support to you, your listeners, the initiatives that y'all are working on, that's what I'm here for. So I'm more than happy to be here. And it really is a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's people like you that make the podcast what it is you really bring a lot of the quality so let's get started with it so you you've done so many impressive things you've impacted hundreds maybe thousands of lives with the work you've done you've made it in mainstream media publications you work with some of the the greatest educational institutions in america um i want to know back when you were a kid and and you got started with your own meditation practice when did it really become your own um that was something more than just your parents gave you and and even more so than that, when did it become something that you really needed to share with others? So um, for me, it, it even started later than that. So when I was younger, you know, I, I come from a Puerto Rican family. Uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was very, very young. And my mother was a single mother of five. So um, she was working all the time. And I kind of had uh, a lot of just time for Andy. Let's put it that way. You know, like I had brothers and sisters, but um, a lot of them were older than me. I hung out with my brother who's two years older than me. Um, for a good while, but you know, high school comes around and stuff like that, and everyone starts doing their own thing. You know, Ali and Atman, the other founders, they had a meditation practice when they were younger. You know, they they tell stories of how they would wake up for Saturday morning cartoons, and their father would be in his headstand, just sitting there, and they would just pay him no mind because they were used to Papa Bear being in a headstand, and they would just watch their cartoons. <laughs> and father would make them meditate every single day, so they had this strong foundation uh, of a practice. I, I really didn't have that. You know, I, I, it wasn't until I met Ali and Atman in college and we started kind of philosophizing about, uh, you know, what's the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And, and really starting to go inward and soul searching. And, and, and as we started going inward, 
we recognize that externally there was a lot of suffering going on, you know, and, and, and a lot of stuff where it looked like people were really apathetic about it and, and no one was really trying to do anything. And we were like, well, man, we everyone's suffering. We need to save the world. And we were all into comic books and stuff like that, too. So we always felt like we were kind of like superheroes of, of our own. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was meeting um, their godfather. Uh, I, I, I refer to him as my teacher. He does not like that. He always says that we are all conduits and reminders to each other and that, uh, that he learns just as much from me as I learned from him. Um, but he kind of is the one I think that really set me on the path. You know, I had, I had a foundation from my mother of the concept of unconditional love, you know, of no, no matter what, just giving to people and loving people and respecting them, um, just because you should treat people the way that you want to be treated type concept. So I had that small foundation. But it wasn't until after college that I really started getting into this practice that transformed me, that that really uh, made me start seeing the world through different eyes and hearing the world in a different way and really just viewing everything in a whole different manner and, and recognizing um, that oneness that permeates through the universe. And I, I would say if there was a moment that I really had like put my finger on, like this is when that aha, like, now I know type thing. It was when my uh, teacher used to talk about this concept of respect. And the way he described respect is really awesome. He, he always said to take the word respect and to break it into two parts. So re, like to redo or to return. And spect, like spectacles, right? So to look. So he would say, when you respect somebody, you need to look again. So you look at them and you see them and you see their external body. So then you see their skin their race, their sex, you see all that type, you see that, that physical form that's in front of you. And then when you look again, you see the light that's within them. And that light that's within them is the same light that's within you. And you love them just like you're loving yourself. And he kind of drilled this concept into my head beyond people, but in general. So when I look at, and, and I remember saying this to my brothers and sisters, they always thought I was so crazy. Like I look at a cup. And when I look again at the cup, I see the light within the cup that is the same light within me. And I love the cup even, you know, <laughs> I love ants. I love the animal. I love everything. And, and my brothers used to always be like, but that's an inanimate object. How do you love the inanimate object? And I was like, well, I just started loving everything. And I say this to people. It, it, it sounds silly sometimes. I feel like when I say it, it's when I really knew that this is how it was. It wasn't a, a belief or a faith, but, but through self practice, self-study, going inward, like I knew I had the the knowledge, you know, the know or the knowledge, you know, I always say yeah. to people, I don't know how you pronounce knowledge that way. It's knowledge, you know, I, I then knew that this is what the world really was, that I am everyone and everyone is just a reflection of myself. And, and I loved everyone. And I think that is when it really, really like smacked me in my face. And it was like that, oh, like a weight lifted off my shoulders because I finally knew, you know, it took a, a progression. And I, I wish I could say it was this day, you know, like October 17th, you know, 2000, whatever that it happened. But it, it really was a progression to understanding. But once I did know, I mean, there's no doubt now because now I know it. And it's, it's, it made me be who I am and made me want to share this with other people. Wow, that's an incredible story. Many layers to the story as well. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> so, I start rambling and rambling. You're going to have to take that as it comes. I just love this stuff so much. So sometimes I, I can tell. Yeah, your enthusiasm is really coming through. So 
just to play a little devil's advocate with you, in the documentary I watched about the Holistic Life Foundation, Alan and Atme said that they were attracted to you because they thought that you saw the world the same as them. How did they see that in you when you didn't have that practice and you didn't have all these understandings and realizations you do have now? You know, so I think what it was was it, w- it was more that they saw that same like kind of thirst and hunger of wanting to know. You know, they, they had a foundation, but that kind of fell by the wayside as well because their p- parents got divorced and, and they kind of got out of their practice. And so they, you know, when I met them, they weren't sitting around meditating and doing breath work and, and sitting in poses and reading about all this type of stuff. They were, I mean, we met in college. We, we were partying. For real. That's how, that's how we met, you know. So, um, I think it was they saw that I saw the world the same way and that I saw that there was suffering going on. Um, and that something needed to be done and that for some reason we thought the three of us were going to do it and, and we were on that same path. So by the time we got to our junior or senior year, we weren't partying anymore and our friends would call us up and say, Hey, you all want to go out to the bars? And we're like, no, we're re- you want to come over and read these books or watch these documentaries? <laughs> they started thinking we were going crazy. You know, these aren't the same guys we knew. And I think that's when we really started recognizing that. Hey, you know, we're just similar type people and we had the same, like, I want to say conceptions of what's going on in the world. And, and we knew that something needed to be done, I think is, is where, where that came from. And, um, and what a blessing. I mean, the two of them without Ali and Atman, I mean, I, I, I there's no way that this would be, uh, what it is. I mean, I, I truly believe that we're a three headed monster. Uh, you know, right now it's just me speaking, but I would like to think that it's all three of us speaking. Uh, you know, Atman's in Asheville. Uh, North Carolina right now, trying to run some programs over there. I believe Ali's at home taking care of his boys today at, at this time of day. So I feel like I'm in all three of those places at once because we really are just like that that one unit. We just happened to have been brought to this physical plateau in three different bodies. Wow, that's amazing. So, and what do you attribute to to being such a big dreamer? Like I can tell that you you all three of you dream so big, um, and your enthusiasm is very like a I don't know, like what a, a teenager who wants to be a professional athlete or something like, one day I'm going to make it, I'm going to hit the winning home run in game seven. <laughs> like that's how you guys talk about your guys' aspirations. Where does that come from? And it's, Does it like grow even more because you're a team of three doing it? I, don't, I mean, that is a great, great question. I've done so many interviews. I've never had that before. Um, You know, I think it's because it got to a point really where we just knew that this is what we were supposed to do. Like such a blessing at the age that I recognized my path in life to, you know, to, to know that, you know, not a doubt in my mind, I was placed on this planet to remind people who they are and to spread love, you know, like, like not a doubt. And, and, And so when, 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 when you, when you can see the goal, you know, when, when it's so crystal clear in your mind's eye, and you have two of your best friends who see the same thing. It's exciting. You know, I think it, it's really fun to see like, Hey man, this is what you all want to do too. And this is what I want to do. And like, we all really, really want to do it. Like, well, let's do it. Like what's stopping us? You know, like, and I, and I, I, I it sounds crazy, but I'm sure part of the, the fact that we all were into like superheroes and star Wars and all these, mm-hmm. the, you know, heroes journey, you know, that, that, that I think that was a large part of why we believe it was up to us to do this and, and that it was possible for us to do this. You know, I think that we really thought like, man, we got this. And I, and I remember at first 
when we first first started, we thought it was just going to be the three of us. You know, at the beginning of this talk, I already said we we now know that it takes all of us to do this. You know, we thought, oh, just the three of us got this. We're gonna we're gonna cure everything somehow, and that's impossible. You know, we now understand that we need to work together as a team. We always joke and call it love zombies, right? That that we're gonna infect people with love, and as we infect one person, then they're gonna go out and infect more people. <laughs> yeah. People just spread the disease of love, you know? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know where it stems from. So I, you know, that we just know this is what we're supposed to be doing, and it's exciting. And when you love what you're doing, it's fun, and, it, and, it, and it's something that really just, like, screams out at you. And it's great that you say my animation and stuff makes me look – I feel like a kid. I do. I feel like I, a little kid just filled with bliss, and I just want everybody else to feel this way because I know it's it's possible, and it's inside of them. You know, people so often are reaching outside of themselves for happiness, external measures. You know, I, I want this. I need this. And when they can really realize that everything is within them, man, you know, wow. that's that's when it happens. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I really agree with that, that when it's when it's inside you, you have it with you everywhere and it's incredibly empowering. Do you feel like that your hero's journey mindset really spills over to the kids once they kind of get a hang of the foundations of this practice? Do they feel like they're on some like long arcing journey where they're going to transform themselves and transform all these other lives too? You know, I, I would hope so. You know what I mean? I, I really would hope so. I, I mean, I've seen it in some of our kids. You know, we've been doing this for 18 years now. And I, I, I do see it, that sparkle in, in some of uh, the kids that were in our first, first program where they truly realize what they're doing and what role they're playing. I think sometimes they're a little unaware of the magnitude and the impact that we are having in the world and in the nation. I think it's funny when we take them with conferences to us sometimes and people approach me, Ali and Atman in a way where the other younger staff members are like, these are just the, the fellas, but people kind of, when we travel may put us on this higher pedestal. And I think it blows the kids' minds like, wait, is this really? And, or people are like, Oh my God, you do such amazing work where our staff sometimes may not realize that this is what it really is, where they're just like, wait, that's us? Like, we're doing that? And I'm like, and, I, and I'm always telling them, I'm like, man, this is something like it's going to change history. You know, like, y'all going to be in the history books. They're not going to talk about me. They're going to talk about you all, the ones that were young gentlemen in the fifth grade that first started and, and went through the programs and, and, and could have chose any path in life and instead decided, you know what? I want to do what you all did for me to other kids. You know, yeah. I want to stay in this neighborhood and make an impact and, and remind the kids, hey, I was in your shoes and it doesn't have to be this way. And, and I know there's a lot of stuff going on out here, but we can give you tools and techniques that you can use for the rest of your life to make you find peace wherever you're at. You know, and, and I think that they're grasping it. I think that all of us still need to work. You know, I still study constantly. I say I know and, and deep in my heart, I do know, but I'm not perfect. You know, I still get frustrated and angry and upset. And I, you know, life throws curveballs and I swing and I miss sometimes. You know? But that's part of my journey. And each of us are working towards it. Um, so I think a lot of them, they have it. And I'm hoping that the younger ones you've been working with since they were little babies, like pre-K and kindergarten, that when they get older, they have it too. And, and one thing I can say for sure is they may not necessarily have that twinkle in their eye that says, that they had the same mission that myself, Ali, and Atma do. Um, but I know that they, through the practice and learning to love themselves, 
they know that they're capable of anything and they can achieve their dreams. Right. We constantly try to kind of let them know that we're here to support them in whatever they want to do. I, I, I'm not teaching you these techniques so that you can become a yoga instructor or that you can keep working for HLF. I would love you to, you know, that'd be great. But if you want to be anything, that's what I'm here to do and support you. And I feel that a large percentage of the kids that we work with, we do increase their scope as to what is out there in the world and what they can achieve and what they can be. Because a lot of times, I don't think that those pictures are presented to them in, in, in that light where I think a lot of kids just think, I, that's not me. I can't do that. That's unachievable. You know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I want to talk about that whole resume building mindset. Um, it seems like that's part of the American culture is you, you, you gain skills so that you can market yourself for someone to hire you. And you went through the process of getting a bachelor's degree in marketing and an MBA. How do those play a role in your purpose? And, and were those like very intentional decisions to be able to help uh, the Holistic Life Foundation grow? Talk me, walk me through like why you made those decisions educationally for yourself. My bachelor's, uh, you know, HLF kind of wasn't even in the picture at that point. You know, right. I based, I went to school. <laughs> it's crazy. The, the main reason I went to college was because my neighbor one day asked me, hey, I'm going to get some applications for college. You want me to get you one? And I said, sure, go ahead and get me one. And wow, I filled out really? <laughs> an application and I ended up getting into that school. <laughs> so and, and the major I chose was because I asked her, what major are you doing? She's like, I think I'm going to be a business major. And I was like, I'll be a business major too. Then. So it's weird. You know, um, I mean, all my siblings have all graduated from college. Uh, my mother is an extremely intelligent lady, but that just wasn't something that was part of my my raising kind of, you know what I mean? Like in terms right. of like when I was younger, my mom was so busy, she was working. My brothers and sisters were doing their thing. So I didn't have like guidance and people telling me, hey, you need to apply for grants or scholarships or get your GPA up so you can get to a better school. That just kind of wasn't, I don't know, my vision. It wasn't in front of me for some reason. I didn't think it was part of my path. Um, thank God I did do it. Because that's how I met Ali and Atman, right? So uh, without going to college, this wouldn't have ever happened. Um, the MBA, that was specifically for the Holistic Life Foundation. You know, we were forming a nonprofit organization. We knew that uh, in order to kind of get some funding to support our initiatives through the grants that we were doing, that it would kind of look good to have somebody on the resume and in the organization that had a, a master's in business administration. Because it would show that, hey, we can do what we need to do. Did I use a lot of the stuff I got in school with HLF? Uh, <laughs> not as much as you would think that an MBA or a, a, a marketing degree would, would get you prepped and ready. You know, like uh, most of the stuff we learned was boots on the ground. You know, right. I, I never learned anything about really nonprofits when I had my MBA. They talked about nonprofit work, but that wasn't part of it. Uh, learning to build an infrastructure of an organization wasn't something that we learned until eight years into our work. I mean, the first eight to nine years, me, Ali, and Atma did everything for free. And we tell people now I have calls once a week of people trying to start a, a nonprofit. I tell them, do not do that. Do not do everything for free for eight years. That was a bad idea. You know, you should be compensated for your time. You're going to burn yourself out if you're trying to do everything for free all the time. It wasn't until we got funded by an organization out of California, the 1440 Foundation, and our program officers sat us down and were like, look, y'all, you need to pay yourselves. 
And we were like, nah, we're, st- we're down to do this for free. Like, this is our mission in life. This is what the universe told us to do. And they're like, no, like, it's not going to work that way. Like, we're not going to support you all unless you start paying yourself a little something for doing this work. Because you can't keep pouring your glass out to people without getting it refilled. Mm-hmm. Glass is going to get empty. You have to start doing it. And that's when we started building our infrastructure. That's when we started getting really serious about um, roles and positions and systems. And I mean, from that point on, our growth has been exponential. I want to say that was, oh, goodness, like nine or 10 years ago. There's still only three of us. Now our organization, I mean, in our budget of our organization, maybe $15,000. Now our organization is around 50 total people. So that's 40 programmatic people, a lot of which were in our programs before. 10 administrative and our budget is over $2 million. You know, that's, that's from just not ever quitting, you know, not ever saying, ah, we can't do this or no, this isn't going to work. You know, it's about being stubborn and mm. saying, Hey, what the, the universe told us we're going to do this and they're going to keep throwing obstacles our way. They're going to keep testing us to see if we're going to fail and we're not. And we're going to keep doing this because we know that we do this for free anyways. Yeah. So we might, you know, like, <laughs> in doing this, right? And then to see the impact that it has on the kids, to see some of these guys say to me, man, if it wasn't for you, I'd be either dead or in prison right now. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to pay for my apartment now, for my children and stuff. You know, ha- having these guys who were on this, in the streets doing things that may not have been the best things to be, be, be doing, to now uplifting their communities and helping the kids and having their buddies who are locked up in prison call them like, hey, man, when I get out, I want to get with y'all. You know, mm-hmm. like, see it. I think it was so essential. So I knew that this is what ha- had to be done. You know, I think Ali and Atman, we all just knew it had to be done. You had to keep going. You had to keep going and doing this. Um, again, I know I've steered away from the whole <laughs> Masters MBA thing, but I think the concept here is, you know, I, I, I think that, Everyone has a different route to go. You know, you, you pick your, your route. I think that um, the education system for me helped me a lot because it, it, it allowed me to be structured. Hmm. So this very, very organized. I, I, I meet deadlines. You know, I know how to how to be social with people and com- to communicate, to network. I think those are the main aspects that I learned from my education processes. Hey, you know, like. You don't get second chances here. If you don't turn in the paper, your teacher's not taking an excuse. Right. You know, if you're not there on time for the exam, you failed your exam. You can't say, oh, can you talk to my mom and stuff? No, they don't care. You know, like you have to do things and you have to be held accountable for those things. And I think that was the main lessons that I had for it. Again, I read all the books. I, like, I love to read uh, and I learned a lot about systems and and, and different types of ways to run organizations, stuff like that. And, and ours is a very uniquely ran organization with three people on the top. You know, um, yeah. I mean, now organizational chart looks like your normal business and has an executive director and directors and all that type of stuff. But initially, we were doing stuff a little bit different just because we were doing it and it was still working. I don't know. So during those first eight or nine years, when you weren't paying yourself and you had no budget, um, what was keeping you going? Were there... Just what were those first confirmations that by fulfilling your purpose and going all in that that you were going to be able to a stay alive and like pay the bills and be like 
find joy and fulfillment and, and know that the, the hero's type of growth is coming. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I can answer that in like two words. So one or two, two, two different ways. So one is uh, our teacher used to always say to us, just do the work. He said, don't look for results. Just do the work. Y'all are karma yogis. He would say it to us all the time. Hmm. Which all I do karma yoga. You know, like you, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. So I always have his little voice in the back of my head. Just do the work. So you're not, you know. And to me, even back at that moment, I think where we were at the idea of getting paid to provide stuff that we didn't make up seemed a little weird. You know, like we didn't make yoga. We didn't make a meditation. It's been around for thousands of thousands. So I think that one thing what was huge was hear him always say, do the work, do the work, do the work, right? Second thing I would say is the kids. They paid for everything, you know, like with just their love. You know, I used to have friends would say to me, hey, what are you doing, man? When are you, when are you going to get a real job? Right. Like, yeah. There's got to like, be a lot of that type of time. Oh, man, you, you, know, you could be making so much money. What's wrong with you? You have more education than I do, this and that. And I would say to him, man, there is no amount of money you could pay me to make me feel the way I do when I pull into my neighborhood and I get out of my car and 10 kids run up to me and they're hugging me. And they're staring up at me with these big, beautiful eyes and all this love in them. And they're just like, Mr. Andy, Mr. Andy, what are we going to do today, Mr. Andy? What are we going to do with that school program? You know, like, you couldn't pay me for that. You know, that, that feeling of being with them and knowing that if someone would have done this for me when I was their age, if they would have taught me the techniques that had transformed me into the person I was at that moment, that I would be Superman. You know, and I would say it to the kids. I would be like, man, if someone taught me how to regulate myself, how to be aware of what was going on how to meditate and go inward, my life would have been so much smoother, you know? So I could see them transforming. I could see the love they had for me. I, you know, we were truly, the way my teacher said it, I was learning from them. And, and, and there are days where I would say, I think I'm learning more from you all than you're learning from me. Because I'm learning about innocence of being a child, you know? I'm learning about just having fun and a good time. When you're not introduced to all the horrible stuff in the world that happens in the world the world is a pretty nice place you know and a lot of kids with their innocence you can see it they haven't seen some of the grimy stuff people do or some of the stuff that happens in the world where you're like man like oh why is this going on so just to that purity and that innocence is oh it's awesome yeah it's amazing Definitely. I agree with that. Um, yeah, working around kids. I was, I got started working in Thailand. I was teaching fifth and sixth graders and we don't even have much common language, but having like, yeah, like you said, 10, 15 of them run up to you and teacher John, teacher John, and like pulling on my clothes and wanting to show me things. It's just like, you, you feel optimistic about the future of mankind. <laughs> yeah, right. It's awesome. Um, so you were working with a population where maybe their older brothers and sisters or their parents were probably going through really difficult times while they were having the innocence or even they would have moments, I assume, where they would break down and, and get in a fight or say something really hurtful or do something self-destructive. What were a couple, like what's a difficult time you could, do you have a story about a difficult time where it was it was really difficult to stay um, committed to, to all the ideals that you had for the program? My commitment was, now I was all in. You know, this, is, this is my bait. You know what I mean? So, there was, I don't think there was a time where everyone was like, I can't do this. There were times where you know, we've lost a lot of kids. I have a story of a, a, a young boy. I want to say he was in the second grade. He was the one that met me every single day. He's the first kid. 
I'm very punctual now. I wasn't when I was younger. So I, I'm always, always one of the first ones at the after school program. I'd be waiting for the kids. And this one kid would come in first every single day. Huge smile on his face. Just wow, brilliant, beautiful kid. Mm-hmm. So one day we get a call and we hear that the kid had passed away because there was a fire in his house. And he had two siblings and he ran in the house when the fire was and he saved one of his brothers and sisters. He took the kid out and then he ran back in the house to get his little brother and the two of them passed away. Oh my. And it's things like that where, you know, if you, if you're not able to practice non-attachment, that could really just, I just tear you apart. You know? mm-hmm. And it did for me because every day that I walked into that after school program from that day on, you know, he's not there to greet me. He's not, I don't, he's not that first smile I saw in you know, and, and he was, you know, the, it was in the news and they, they named a street after him. He's a hero, you know, because his other sibling is alive because of him. You know? wow. And there were, there were adults around. They, they, none, none of them did anything. But this little guy, you know, I think the one reason that I was able to get through it was because it didn't surprise me that that's what he did. You know, it didn't surprise me that he went back in because he was just such a loving, wonderful young man, you know. But it's instances like that, you know, where one day they're there with you, you're having fun, you're laughing, and the next thing you know, they're gone. And it happens a lot. I mean, a, a whole lot. And, and, and I could see how that could be a little too much for people to, to be able to constantly be giving this love to people and, and, and building this family bond and then losing that person, especially yeah. such a young, young life had so much future to do, you know, like I think that. I could say maybe that's been some times where I've been like, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I should be getting so attached to these kids and this and that. You know what I mean? Where? So, so what did you turn to? Like, uh, I, I know that people listening will want to know, how do you cope with such like uh, adversity? Like, obviously, you, you should be non-reactive, non-attached. But how do you get there? Like, what is the practice to get there? I think, you know, my response initially when you said it was it, my practice is what allowed me to to be like this. I think that help, you know, meditating every day is essential. There's not a day that I will not meditate. You know, that's just, it's not going down. It's part of, we, we say oftentimes when we're talking, and of course I put meditation under yoga. So yoga in general, the yoga isn't something you do. It's something you are. It becomes part of your being. And, and, and when you start living this way of life, then certain things tend to not impact you as much, I would say, because of my practice. I mean, it's not, you know, not that I didn't cry. You know, I went to the funeral, I cried looking at this young man, his little brother. Cause I knew him. But, you know, I think it helps that I have certain philosophies that other people may not have. Um, one in particular, I think that really helps. And this isn't something that we teach as the Holistic Life Foundation. This is more my own practice. Okay. So let's make that evidently clear. You know, the Holistic Life Foundation is a completely secular organization. We have no... Um, religious affiliation or anything like that at all. Um, and I really don't consider myself religious in any way, shape or form, but the, the concept of reincarnation for me is, is a big deal. And I believe in reincarnation while, while others may not. And hey, to each, each his own, a million different paths for a million different people. But I think when it comes to, um, the concept of death, that that's why I can take it a little bit different than other people because I believe that your physical body may die, but your your real true self, that part that I try to remind people are that 
that infinite being, you know, that omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent being that all of us are, mm-hmm. that's a, that doesn't go away. And it's unfortunate some people do have to move on and go into a different shell or skin or whatever you want to call it. Hey, that happens, especially because we do game attached. We do love people. But, you know, I, I believe that he went to a better place. I believe that he learned what he had to during this life or he he played his role in part from what he was supposed to do. And he's going to come back the next time. Heck, I know the concept of reincarnation is interesting. Some people, you know, believe that he could he could come back and be my son if I ever decided to have children. Who knows? So um, for me, I think when it comes to issues like that, like death and being afraid to die and fear of this. Once I got to being where I'm at now, where I believe in or I know this concept of who I am, well, it doesn't bother me much as much. You know what I mean? So how do you guide the discussion amongst the kids? Um, take something maybe like a little bit less intense, like someone went okay. to jail, someone got caught with something bad, somebody got you know beat up in a fight, any like whatever you say, an adverse situation for one of their peers. How do you guide that sort of discussion? With them, you know, I would do a lot less talking. So if anything, I'd be more an active listener. I'd bring it up and I'd allow allow them to speak, knowing that there are going to be awkward pauses. And sometimes you just got to eat that awkward pause and you just stare and you're just there for them and let them kind of say their piece and get what they need to off their chest. I think at the large part of, I think, the healing process when it comes to anything like that, whether, especially when you're missing somebody, like you're saying, if they're incarcerated, if they passed away, if they're not there anymore, is, is talking about it. You know, letting them open up and speak about it. You know? And, and if, if it, if it comes to where you can see that they're kind of looking for me to kind of give them, um, maybe some guidance, a little support, that's when I just tell them, you know, I would never bring up reincarnation to kids and stuff like that. <laughs> this is, uh, but I would say something along the lines of, you know, focus on the good memories you have. They're always there with you in your memories. Mm-hmm. And if you, you can remember the good times that you have, they've never, they're, they're never really gone. You know, they haven't gone anywhere. Yeah. They're still there. They're, even they're in, they're in there inside of you. So focus on those good times, those good thoughts and memories you had. And, and you know, you can, Get them to do exercises. Get them to close their eyes and kind of picture that person. Picture them smiling. Picture them, you know, in that moment that you remember that made you feel happy. And you can you can put yourself back there. So if that's what they need to do until they can kind of resolve whatever's going on, then that would be one recommendation that I might give. But usually when it comes to that type of stuff, I listen. And if they're not opening up, then another another technique you all could use is... Um, Talk about some of your suffering, you know, some of the things that you've gone through. Like, I can think of this one story. There's a, a young gentleman in my after-school program um, whose father was in our neighborhood, and he and he got incarcerated. So he got locked up. Um, now, I knew that his father had gotten locked up, but I didn't relay that message to him. I, but I remember going to school one day, and his father's in jail, and, and the principal runs over to our after-school program, and she says, hey, is such and such in here? And I'm like, nah, he didn't come in today. She's like, he was just in my office. He kicked me. He's getting expelled. And I'm like, he's not in our program. And she's like, look, there he is right there. Somehow this little guy 
had ran past our door, snuck into our room, and he was meditating on a cushion. So he had just, he had just kicked the principal, and then he ran into our room, and he's like, "Oh my god, she won't find me in here if I if I lay still, she's not going to find wow, me." Wow, really? <laughs> so he's in there and he's meditating. So I had to pull him up because I mean he just kicked the principal. So I pull him up, and I'm like, "Hey man, we got to talk. We got to go outside." And and I know what went down. You know, I know why he's acting this way because he just lost his dad. I mean, his dad's in prison. He doesn't know how long he's going to be in there, right? So um, I'm like, hey, man, is there anything going on that you need to share with me about? Anything you want to talk about? You know, are you good? And he's like, I'm good. I don't know what to say. And he's just real quiet. So being that I knew that he had lost somebody, I shared with him that I had just lost my uncle. Now, he wasn't locked up, but my uncle had just passed away. And, you know, I'm not saying this. Just, just to get a reaction. I'm saying it because hey, it helped me too. You know, I, and I hadn't talked to anybody about it, so I shared with him. And you know, I just lost my uncle. Like it sucks when you lose somebody, man. You know, I, I appreciate you being here and listening to me. And I kind of just like vented out to him a little what was going on with me. And I, and, and I finished telling him everything. And I'm like, hey, man, I really appreciate you being here, listening to me, and being here for me. You know, I love you. Anything you ever need, you let me know. I was like, we got to go back in the, in, into the gym. And the moment I turned my back to walk towards the gym. He's like, my dad was locked up. And he just starts sharing. It just pours up, just, you know, and just lets everything out. And I think sometimes when when you show people that you're vulnerable, I think a lot of times that allows them to be like, oh, they're going through stuff too. Maybe I can show some of my vulnerability here, you know? And then they happen to open up and share as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's That's really profound, like. Yeah, vulnerability is, uh, I think, such a good connection point for people. And I'm wondering, how does that kind of play out in your purpose? So your purpose statement that you sent me, and thank you for doing that, by the way, is uh, to remind people who they are and to spread love throughout the universe. I want to kind of piece, uh, figure out the, the first part of that. How do you remind people who they are before they've maybe discovered themselves? You're working with kids. How Have they discovered themselves? How do you get them to, to share who they are and and how do you remind them of who they are? I think first off by modeling the practice. So being authentic and genuine, having my own practice and, you know, leading by example. So reminding people um, just, just kind of act the right way. You know, like there's certain innate qualities I think that all of us have, that all of us know difference a little bit between right and wrong. You know, you know, like when someone lies, I don't know very many people when they lie that they don't in, in the pit of their stomach somewhere, somewhere like, oh, even if it's a little white lie, it's like, oh, I still lie, you know, or uh-huh. they steal somebody or they they cheat, you know, or they or they do something wrong. Like, I think human beings in general innately know the difference between that stuff. So just modeling that and then reminding them when you catch them doing stuff that you're like, hey, is that, is that right? Like. Is that how you would want to be treated or is that what you would want to do? I think so. That, I think that kind of starts getting the ball rolling a little in their heads. But I think the key is is within the practice. So as they learn to, 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 to be aware of their breath, as they learn to be aware of their surroundings more, be mindful, and be present um, of what's going on outside of them, what's going on within them, I think they start understanding the concept of, of who they are a little, just a, a little more, right? And they start thinking, all right, well, okay, well, you know, that's them. Um, you saying something to me and me reacting angrily, that's not really me. That's anger. That's me allowing anger to make me act this way. 
Yes. So then they start assessing more. You know, I think that, and then the practice really, one of the things that I think really is the most amazing that comes to it is they learn to love themselves. They learned to love who they are. You know? And then every once in a while I play this game. It's fun. And, and I usually do it with older kids, but I mean, you can do it with younger kids sometimes in our after school program. I, I ask them who they are. So I say, who are you? And the kid will say, I'm Johnny. I'm like, well, Johnny, that's just your name. Somebody gave you that name. Who are you? I'm seven years old. Well, that's just your age. Who are you? And like, I'm African American. Well, that's just your race. Who, and I keep saying, who are you? And I can go for a good, like, 15 to 20 questions. And they, they're just ex- mainly describing physical attributes, you know, or things about them that they may like. They may like chocolate. Or the other person may like vanilla ice cream, you know. And I remind them the concept in yoga, where yoga means union. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a famous quote by um, a swami named Paraman- Paramahansa Yogananda, and he says, divisions are imaginary lines drawn by small minds. Mm. So I say to the kids sometimes, say, you know, anytime that you use your senses for an attribute and you say, I like this, you've now separated yourself from me, right? Because you're saying I, well, I'm like, well, what about me? So if there's an I, so I, I start getting to start thinking of the concept of their senses and the ego a little, right? And I think that when I say stuff like, so if I do ice cream all the time, I say, what kind of what I, ice cream do you like? And the kid will say chocolate. And I'm like, okay, well, I like Rocky Road. It's chocolate, but it's got almonds and marshmallows. See, so now our sense of taste has separated us, right? Because you like this and I like this. So now we're different because now there's a you and there's an I. Mm-hmm. Yoga, we're about we, about union, about right. oneness. So, I mean, this is a profound concept. This is deep, deep stuff. I don't expect it to soak it into the kids right away. But I think just at least, like my teacher says, even the longest journey starts with one step. So if I can get them to slowly start walking along the path and start analyzing these type of concepts, start thinking about this type of stuff, then as they get older, maybe they'll lean more towards the realization of, hey, I am you, you are me. That's all this is about, learning. You know? I mean, imagine it, if, we, if, if humanity could grasp that concept there would be no sexism, no racism, no classism, none of that. Because those are mainly concepts of material, physical stuff. So if we started looking past sex and race and monetary value, and we looked at people and we truly respected them and saw ourselves within them and we loved them, what could there be but love? And so I, I talked to them about how well, that's why I love everybody, you know, because they know, they hear it. Like I said, remember back to me being a leader? They hear me say I love you to everybody. I mean, I say I love you to strangers, and they look at me like I am effing crazy. You know, yeah. they're like, like, who the hell are you? What you mean you love me? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, lo- I love you. Have a good day. And it never fails. It never fails. Two weeks down the line, when I see that parent again, and I say I love you, they're like, I love you too, Mr. Andy. And it's infectious. It's one of the most, it's, it's the most powerful force in the universe is love. And if we can remind everyone to love themselves, then they're more able 
to be compassionate and empathetic towards others. And then that is when they really start realizing who they really are. And I think that's how we get them to know who they are and where I can remind them. Because, and, and I think that's a key aspect in, in, in that phrasing when I put my purpose is that I remind them because I am no more special than they are. I am them. They know it already. All of us know who we really are. So I can't teach you something you already know. I can just remind you. And then once that dust gets kind of wiped off of that, that brilliant, bright light that's inside of you, then it starts shining more and more and more and everyone feels it. And it's just going to keep getting to walk that path and keep spreading love. If you're looking for a meditation app to start a practice at home, I highly recommend the Calm Meditation app. I've used Calm for over a year now, and it's packed with so many blissful meditations of all styles. They have daily meditations, as well as series on topics such as self-love, relationship with others, dealing with anxiety, finding gratitude, and focus-boosting exercises, amongst many others. I love to carve out 10 minutes in my morning to listen to Tamara Levitt's soothing voice as it gently guides me into a massage and fine-tuning of my inner landscape and leads me back into the world with a beautiful image and a quote. And often I find myself coming back to that quote and that image throughout the day. It's kind of like a, a mantra for me. So be sure to check out some of my favorite screenshots of Daily Calm Quotes on our Instagram page at People of Purpose Podcast, and I think you'll get a sense. I know meditation can be a hard thing to start, but with just a little bit of practice, I think you can make it a practice of your own. So again, please download the Calm Meditation app, which you can find in any app store. And with that, happy meditating. How did you become this way? Like, were you a kid telling people you love them and, and espousing, like, philosophy to other people? Or was there some sort of, like, transition where you were just, like, realized, oh, I get it and I'm going to fully go all in. I don't care about my my ego anymore. No, I wasn't like this at all. I mean, I, I was a loving kid, for sure, and a lot of love in my household. So, uh, you know, my mom told me she loved me all the time. And my aunts did. And there's always hugs and kisses and stuff like that. So it's right. truly to have that home environment, especially... Um, with a single mother and stuff like that. I mean, just truly blessed for sure. But, um, I, I mean, I was a wild kid. I was, that definitely, none of, most people, when they see me now, they're like, what in the world happened? Like, how'd you become this person? Because I was, uh, I have, the, the word that always comes to my mind, it sounds so bad when I say it, but the word that comes around when I, like, if I describe myself as, a, um, like middle school all the way to college is a heathen, basically. I was a, just a, just, I don't know. Just no guidance, no direction. Um, just kind of just free, just free to float around, which I think eventually maybe led to some of who I am about being free and just kind of going with the flow. But I remember a, a moment that I can share with you where I, I kind of knew that this is what, what was going to go down. This is what I had to do. And I think, which is a large part of why I kept following this path. And I think as I continued to follow it more and more, um, the knowing factor, like you're, you know, you're saying not that I believe, you know, these profound and abstract concepts is like that knowing was just, it was like, yes, this is definitely, you know, and this came over time. But so I remember, um, being really broke, like we were saying, um, eight to nine years in, maybe, um, we had side jobs. We were working at a mental health institute here in Baltimore called Shepherd Pratt. We were residential counselors. So, um, myself and the other two founders, we did HLF all week long. And then over the weekends, 
uh, we would work uh, 24 hours uh, over the weekend to kind of gain some money to help us. Now, I got to a point where financially I was in such a bad place. So I've been deferring my student loans. I had maxed out numerous credit cards and I didn't want to work at this place anymore. And I didn't want to work there anymore because we were, um, we were doing everything for the people. We were cooking food for them and helping them out. But one thing we do is we did med monitoring for them. So I had to give them their medicine every single day in the morning. And if they wanted, um, an extra bit throughout the day because they couldn't cope with their, whatever their, their trauma or their mental disorder, whatever it is, they could come and ask me for something, a PRN. It's like as needed, right? So if, I, if they needed a little something else, they'd come to me and be like, Hey, I'm freaking out a little kind of this. So I would give them that. I felt like I wasn't helping them. I felt like giving them those drugs that I was just turning them into just zombies and, and not real versions of themselves. And I felt like that wasn't what I was meant to be on this planet for, especially with the work we were doing with the kids. Right. So I remember like sitting in my room and saying to myself, I'm a quit. I'm a quit this job. Like I can't do this anymore. It's, it's killing me. It's, it's eating at my soul. And then the little, you know, say you have two little people on your shoulders. One of them saying, but Andy, all your credit cards are maxed out. How are you going to survive? And the other one's like, who cares? You can't keep doing this. This is eating at your soul. And I'm like, I basically had an internal conversation. I mean, I guess you could call it a prayer. You call it whatever you want to. But I said, you know what? If this is truly what the universe wants me to do, if it's truly what it is, and there's no way it's going to make me keep working at this job. There's no way that this is part of it. So I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to just deal with the consequences of these credit cards and this debt. And we'll see how this goes. Because HLF, the Holistic Life Foundation, is really what the universe wants me to do, then it's going to get my back. It's got me. I remember quitting the job. Nervous. Nervous is all out of hell as that date comes closer and closer to pay that the minimum on the card. You know how it works. Yeah. And no doubt, the day a check comes in the mail from a program that me and Ali and Altman had done months before. A small check, but enough for me to pay that minimum. And I swear to you all, every time that minimum was due again, some form of payment came to pay the minimum, where eventually I got a little more, so I paid off all the credit cards, to now make a living for myself doing it. And what was that money coming from? Your Holistic Life event? Holistic Life, whether it was an old contract, speaking engagement we did, a yoga class we had done, a donation someone had given us saying, hey... Where I'm donating this to you, but so that you all put something in your pockets type stuff. You know, we still weren't on salary. I didn't go on salary until four years ago. If you look at my tax records, they'll tell you that it wasn't until 2014 that we actually were getting like taxes taken out. We were independent contractors and we would only get paid when we saw like we really need this or we're not going to be able to, you know, have a roof on our head or be able to eat and stuff like that. So, um, it just slowly worked and worked and worked and worked to where it, it, it was it was almost it's just amazing it's like something that uh, you would see in a movie where i remember having that conversation to, into myself and saying this is what i'm gonna do and if you really want me to do this you're gonna make it work and and it's happened and i, I mean that's why i always tell people you know that they are the architects of their own destinies it, if you set your intention 
and you set your sails and you see the path you want to go. I mean, clear though. Make it as clear as day. See yourself doing whatever it is you want to do. The universe will take care of it. You know, it, it will happen. It really will. But you got to be clear. You got to be adamant. You got to be stubborn and say, no matter what faces me, no matter what happens, I'm doing this because this is what I am supposed to do. And I, and I tell people all the time, it'll happen. I mean, to, the, to where now, I remember like four or five years ago telling Ali and Atma, you know what's going to happen? It's going to get to where you are going to have to start talking by yourselves. Because we like to travel all three of us, three of us together, three of us together talking. Amazing. But I'm like, it's going to be where we're going to have so much stuff that we're going to have to travel separately and be giving these talks to people. And the, the, just the other day, I did, had to do Syracuse University by myself. Atman right now is doing a school by himself. Ali's had to do conferences in New Mexico by himself. So it's 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 like if you see it, you set the intention. You, you manifest it, man. You really, truly are the architect of your reality. You make whatever you want happen. Wow. This is this is your world. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like so central to the theme of my podcast. Thank you for sharing that. So what actions are you taking to make these intentions happen? Are you sending like pamphlets to Syracuse University about the work you're doing? Are they finding you? How, how are you getting like all these speaking engagements and growing exponentially like this? I mean, I think it's really just our track record. You know, we've been doing it for 18 years. Um, we had the first ever randomized controlled trial study uh, on uh, urban youth and, and mindfulness and yoga that was done by Johns Hopkins and Penn State. So I think that helps so that anytime uh, anyone else is trying to do some research, they always go to the first, first one done. See, oh, holistic life on this. Oh, they're the ones that made the curriculum for this. So they contact us. Um, I think publicity has helped us out, you know, with in terms of, like you said earlier, when you introduced us, uh, you know, the CNN, NBC, ABC, Upworthy, we've been just all over the place. And I think just it helped with the study. And then recently, I think it was this new program, this mindful moment program that we have where uh, one of our videos went viral, over 30 some million views. And the, it, the video was, it was brief. It was, it was just basically saying school replaces detention with meditation. Mm -hmm. And in, in our program, that's basically what we did was we, we, we designed uh, a room where instead of using punitive practices in the school day, so instead of punishing a child for something that went on during the school day or usually something that's stemming from the trauma and the home environment that, that they're facing all day long, that that you send them over to us and we listen to them. And then we say, hey, man, I, I feel you. You know, like this stuff happens. The world is tough. How about next time you're faced with this adversity? Try this breath or try this meditation. And then we send them back to their classrooms. And that school, which... Uh, got the main part of the viral video is in the epicenter of where the Freddie Gray uprising occurred. Mm -hmm. And in the last years, there have been zero suspensions in that school because instead of punishing a child when they're faced with adversity, we remind them, hey, this happens. How much you get yourself together by using these tools, which you can carry with you everywhere you go. You know, yeah. Your breath is it's portable, like Sharon Salt says. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, can you go into some of those details about how the program works and the structure? I know that you train teachers, you work directly with kids, you use a lot of breath work, you do poses. What are some of those details about how, how it works? 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, our basic structure um, through all the programs, we get highlighted for a lot of the youth work too that we do, but I mean, we do adult programs, drug rehab centers, mental health facilities, elderly homes, homeless shelters, the works. Um, the, the main structure is basically uh, some form of centering practice, and it's usually just some basic belly breathing, but any form of just centering practice to get them in the room with us and, and present. We follow that up with some form of movement, then we do breath work. So particular breathing exercises, and we make sure that we're always teaching them what each of these are for. So we're always using that reciprocal teaching model. And then after the breath work, discussion, and a meditation. Now, the reciprocal teaching model is essential in all of our programs because that's how we really impact the community. So it's very difficult to get outreach to parents sometimes. So what we do is we use the kids to do it. So if, if I teach a kid how to teach then when they go home and they see their mother or father stressed out, they say, hey, I got this great breathing exercise, and they sit them down, or they lead them to meditate. And we didn't know that was happening at first. It wasn't until one day we approached one of the parents uh, in the neighborhood, and we're like, hey, you know, could you do me a favor? Can you tell such and such? She's got to participate in the yoga. Like, you know, I know we're family, but she's taking advantage of our kindness, you know what I mean? She's just not doing it. And lady's like, oh, you must have the wrong kid because just the other day I came home stressed out and she sat me down and made me meditate. Wow. So, you know, that was going on. And then we're like, oh, well, that makes sense. And, and that's what our teacher made us promise. I remember after we graduated from college and, and us sitting down with him and us saying, hey, we want to learn this stuff. And he said, you get to promise me two things. He says, show up at four in the morning and that. I am not going to teach students. I will only teach teachers. And we do that same type of concept in all of our programs. And, and, and they vary. So there's that basic structure. Some of them are during the school day, like our Mindful Moment program, where we have that school-wide initiative, recording played at the beginning of the day, 15 minutes, recording played at the end of the day, leading them through exercises and practices, and then that alternative to suspension room where they can access that room throughout the day. We also do classes. You know, it just depends on the the particular needs of the school and we always cater to the needs of the school. So if they want us to focus on the ninth grade group, we will. If they want us to focus on their quote unquote high flyer students, we can do that. We can do full school wide assemblies to start getting the kids engaged. Um, and then we have our after school program. And that's like our, 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 our training ground for a lot of our instructors. So that's from pre K to fifth grade. And that's the one that's been started since we started this organization. It's been running for 17 years now. And that's the program where uh, not only do we introduce them to the mindfulness concepts and, and, and everything is integrated with mindfulness and yoga philosophy, but that's where we also give them academic assistance and introduce them to enrichment activities to increase their scale and scope and let them know, hey, if you, you know, you don't have to just be a basketball player, a rapper or a drug dealer. We always call that the big three here in Baltimore. Like th those aren't your only three options. You want to be in the robotics? We'll bring a guy here to do robotics. You want to do microgreens? We have microgreens or karate or art or music or whatever it is. So we bring all that in, again, always intertwined with these philosophies and concepts of unity, family, love, oneness, and compassion. Um, the newest program that we're really working on that we're trying to start pushing out is called BAM, uh, Bridging Academics in the Mind. And what this is, is there's audio recordings, there's animations of myself and the other two founders uh, as a curriculum that we'll provide. And, and what it's for is, say the uh, city of Chicago, for example, says, we love what you're doing. We want to go district wide. Well, we understand that we don't have the people power to do that. We only have 40 programmatic instructors and, and all of our administrative staff could teach the lessons as well, but that's still only 50 of us. We're not going to be able to go into 
whatever, how many hundreds of schools Chicago has. So instead, what we can do is we can give them this curriculum. They have access to audio files, to the videos they can watch. They can use it in whichever way they want. We'll come in. We'll train the staff. We'll engage the students. We'll step back and we'll let them start implementing the program in at their level and what they need to do. And that's probably our, our biggest next project that we're going to start pushing out. We're going to um, pilot it in five schools here in Baltimore City, uh, hoping that within the next three to five years, uh, we can, you know, Baltimore is our baby. We want to go. We want to go district wide here. We want to make it so that every single school here in Baltimore, in some way, shape, or form, has some kind of mindfulness or, or yogic practice, so that we can teach people how to self-regulate and and be less impulsive. I mean, this this the city needs it. It's a wonderful city. There's a lot of people here who are very strong. A lot of perseverance. They just need a little bit more guidance. They need the tools to be able to access so they can be present and and, and be. You know. There's a saying that I always like to say to people. I say, uh, it's funny that they call us human beings because how often are we being? We should be called human doings, if anything, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing stuff all the time. And I always say to the kids, like, let's be for a second. Now, in this moment, don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Now is what is so essential and to appreciate every single second now because that now already is the past. So always try to stay here now. Wow. So I'm a teacher and I think other people listening may or may not be teachers. How do we get plugged into this so that we could um, get some training and get our feet, get, get moving with, with training and after school groups say it's only five or 10 to start. How do you, how do you get plugged into the Holistic Life Foundation and all the training you got? Well, so, I mean, there's a variety of ways. You can just reach out to us, really. That's, that's the best the best way. Um, uh, the email you would contact is info at hlfinc.org. If you want to know more about the work we're doing, you just go to our website, which is hlfinc.org, and uh, you can subscribe to our mailing list. We do a, a monthly newsletter that lets you know of all the places that we're at, any trainings that we'll be doing. Um, we go out to places. So um, Baltimore's our baby, but uh, we have Mindful Moment Rooms uh, going in Wisconsin, Louisville, um, Eastern Shore here, about to get some ramped up in Buffalo, Boston, Asheville. So we, we go to people and we can help you set up your program. Well, really, I mean, a lot of it is is just basic steps on what to do. Email us at the info. Say, hey, I'm interested in getting an after school program started. Is there anyone that will talk to me? And I'm usually the person that you end up talking to. Uh, um, people are always like, there's no way you can talk to all those people, Andy. And it just, again, this is what I do, man. This is my baby, right? So uh, whenever I go to trainings, uh, I always say, just give, you know, we're here to support, da 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 and, and people are like, there's no way he's going to respond. And I respond to everybody. I remember when we first started and people weren't taking us serious. And I was get so frustrated they, they, that they thought they were, like, bigger and better than us, you know? Like, dang, well, why don't you help the little guys? We're trying to do something. So I know... I know what it feels like. I know how it can be frustrating and, and it, it can get you to this point where you're like, man, I just, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And I don't ever want people to feel that way. So anything that I can do to support these initiatives, I feel like it's just another version of me out there spreading the love. And it's going to go faster if I help, right? If I don't help, hey, so hit us up at info at hlfinc.org. Say, hey, I need help with this, this, and this, and anything we can do. Our, 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 our um, office manager would direct you to the right person. Majority of the times, it's like programs, stuff like that. 
she's going to send you to me. So I'd be happy to talk to anyone. Cool. I will probably yeah. be one of those people. <laughs> well, uh, you can just hit me up anytime, man. Just send me an email already. You, you, we're already family. I got you. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Feels Heck great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Along with that, I want to know maybe a book or two that you would recommend people that's just really um, uh, approachable to people that any age, any kind of person, any, you know, ethnicity, any country of a person, what, what's a book or two that you would suggest that just kind of frames this and, and shows that we all are capable of, you know, so much love. All right. So I got a lot of them, but the one that I usually recommend from big, big book nerd, I mean, and, and, um, and also if, if you're listening and you want a bigger book list, same thing, email info at HLFing, say, Hey, I heard Andy in a podcast. He says a book list. I'll be happy to send it to you. Um, but top of the list that I always recommend people to read. It's a simple book too, so it's not intimidating when you see it. Sometimes people are like, man, this is 500 pages. How am I going to read that? This is a short one. It's called Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. By Richard so, what? Bach. B-A-C-H. Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And he has a, uh, another one, one of his called Illusions. Uh, Journeys of the Reluctant Messiah, I think is what it's called, is another great book. But Jonathan Livingston Siegel, I think, is one of the best books for people to read to let them understand that there's more to themselves kind of than meets the eye. And the, and the basic gist of the story is it's about a seagull who's tired of being like all the other seagulls because all the seagulls do is just fly around and eat. And he wants to be more than that. So it's his journey and kind of pushing the limits of what is being a seagull. It is powerful. It's really awesome. Another book I think is kind of fun um, that I recommend to people um, because it's not so just intense with a lot of uh, vocabulary and all that type of stuff or like terminology where some people might be like, God, I don't really know these Sanskrit terms or this or that, um, is The Celestine Prophecy. It's a book that I read by James Redfield, and I read it in college um, when me and Ali and Atma first met. And um, one of the basic tenets, the, the first insight, I believe that there's initially in that one, 10 insights. And then he has another book called The 11th Insight and The 12th Insight. There's a Celestine Vision, Secret of Shambhala. He's a whole bunch of them. But the main concept in that one, I think, is awesome for people, is the concept of synchronicity. There's no such thing as coincidences and that everything happens for a reason. And as you start tuning yourself into the world and into others more and more, you start seeing those synchronicities everywhere and you start paying attention to them. And as you pay attention to them and you listen to them, your life is going to go a lot smoother. And a simple example will be try this at home. You don't have to read the book. Everybody ready for this one. And at one point when you're getting the day started and you're putting your stuff together, this happens to me all the time. Uh, and something in your mind tells you to grab something, right? And it could seem silly. It could be three cents that are on your, on your table, or it could be a pencil that you had. So me, I carry a lot of stuff in my pockets. So I usually have like things that I have my keys, my wallet, I have my, my phone charger, I have all this stuff in my pockets. I take it all out in the morning, at nighttime, and I put it all back in my pockets again. If something tells you to pick that up, start listening to what it is that told you to pick that up, right? Because I bet you throughout the day, you will need to either use those three cents that, that something told you to use or that pencil. And I've had it happen to me countless amount of times where I have not listened. So it'll be seven cents, 
I'm like, I don't need to send this, send this, send this, send this. I go throughout the day. Everything's going good. I go to buy something and I am short literally seven cents. So it's funny. <laughs> It'll be the seven cents or, or the pencil that I saw that I was like, what do I need a pencil for? I can find a pencil anywhere. At some point in the day, I'm scrambling for a pencil and my brain goes back to, man, you told yourself, pick up the pencil, right? So these are those small synchronicities. It goes deeper into when you're meeting people and how when people stand out, you're supposed to approach them and talk to them. So that gets a little weird. Um, but I, I think all those insights are just really phenomenal. And it's a way to start getting to start looking at the world in a different light. And, and I'd be more than happy to share um, personally with you some other ones with some more deeper practices. If you like, I'll make sure I email it to you. Yes, yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, and then finally, I wanted to ask you more about this concept of love zombies. What's the origin of that, and how can we get the rest of us infected? What are, <laughs> what are ways that you can get anybody to, to get that first like infection of it? Yeah. Um, so the origin, uh, is just, I think just me, me, Ali and Ava, we, we like the walking, we like the walking dead a lot. You know that TV show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think maybe that was it. The, the concept of zombies and we always joke around, um, even before the, uh, walking dead and would say like, Hey man, are you ready for the zombie apocalypse? Like, are you ready? You, you ready? It, like, if, if it goes down, you know what you're going to do? You know, so we always joke around about that. You know, like this end of the world scenario with zombies, right? And then all we ever do is talk about love all the time. And so one day, I don't know when it came out. Uh, I remember we were all just together and the, the idea of, well, what about love zombies? That, and I always pictured, um, like in zombie movies, they always show an infection and it's like one little dot and it starts growing and another dot starts growing and growing yeah. and growing. And it starts exponentially happening where it just spreads and everyone's infected, right? Well, I always kind of envisioned that, but with us and they were spreading love because I could see how when one sees someone being loving that they're more prone to be loving as well. Or when one, one receives love, they, 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 they really feel it and they want to do the same thing. They want to give more love. So I think it just started kind of just naturally because the fact that we were, were big lovers and, and that concept of respect, of looking at each other and seeing that person within you and seeing that person and loving them, that that's kind of where it stemmed from. And it just grew. And once we talked about love zombies, then we'd always joke around about like, yeah, man, he's infect one person. If that person doesn't, then this person doesn't. So whenever we go, people remind people about how important that is, how important it is to spread love or to say love. I think us seeing sometimes the impact the words I love you would have on people was profound. There's an exercise we, we do with kids sometimes where we'll say, all right, we're going to go around the classroom and we want you to say one person that you love. And this exercise, it almost never, it almost never fails. At one point, one of the kids will say, I love Mrs. Such and such. And they'll say their teacher's name. So, you know, you're going through the one kid says, I love my dog. I love my dad, such and such. I love this, that, But then when that one kid says, I love Mrs. or Mr. such and such, that teacher's face lights up like you've never seen somebody's face light up. Like, it's just so happy. And then out of all the people that this child chose, they chose them to say that they love them. And then we always say, look at your teacher right now. And the kids turn around and the, the teacher's almost in tears now at this point. Like, oh my wow. God. Wow, such a good I connection. Believe, I can't believe you chose me, you know? And all the kids see, I'm like, look how happy you just made your teacher. And how do you feel when someone tells you they love you? And all the kids are like, oh, I feel happy. 
So I think when they recognize it, they're like, well, maybe I should spread love too. So that day, uh, whenever we do that, that exercise in the school, it's hilarious because everywhere you go, all you hear is everyone saying, I love you. All right, see you later. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it just spreads, man. And it, so it is infectious. So I guess maybe that's where it came from that we saw that, wow, love really is infectious. Infectious zombies infect. And voila, love zombies are born. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, was there another part of the question? No, I thought it was there's love zombies and how can the how can we begin to get infected or infect there we others? Go. Yeah. Thank and you. I would say yeah, yeah. Just meditate, man. Go inward. Love yourself and you're going to love others. That's the, that's what I would say. Go inward. Within there is no without. Wow. It's a good line to end the podcast with. <laughs> thank you so much uh, hey, it was really a pleasure man it's awesome talking with you I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it and please reach out to us at HLF um, you know much love from me Ali Atman the other founders all of our family and 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 yeah I mean we always like to end all our talks whenever we go anywhere we just remind people love is the most powerful force in the universe and we love all of y'all thank you so much for your time wow. thank you so much for your time So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 